All right. Welcome to the P40 podcast. I love that Venus retrograde literally brought me back into a reunion with one of my favorite Aries astrologers and just one of my favorite people, Gary Caton. Do you go by Gary P. Caton or Gary Caton? Well, P is just, uh, just a Facebook one of those page. things. Like, there's there's more than one Gary Caton out there, actually. Right. That's why I, I found like, out when I started Googling myself, you know? <laughs> okay. So I kind of inserted the P in there to uh, just, you know, separate the wheat from the chaff. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a very Aries thing to do, and that's why I was like, wait. It's funny because I never really zeroed in on that until today, I think, because of this strong Aries influence that's going on right now. But yeah, it's really great to reconnect. God, I can't believe it's been as long as it has. What the heck? I know, right? It's so. It, that's what we were we were just talking about that that it had been. What is it? Four years since we've done the yeah, podcast. Yeah, it's been a while. We did a few podcasts. Actually, you show up in my Facebook memories feed, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, look at that podcast we did on the. It was either Venus or Mercury or both or. Yeah, uh-huh. was really cool. that was so much fun, man. Oh, I still wow. I remember that like it was yesterday. Like it was really intense uh-huh. in a good way. Yeah. Well, I'm really yeah. excited that we're doing another. Um, we're going to be going on this Venus retrograde journey together. Today is day one, and then we're also plotting for the future. Gary and I are going to collaborate to do a Mercury, the Mercury uh, Project Forty, the final Mercury Project Forty, because I'm in my last five after this. So you're going to be one of my my grand finale Project Forties. <laughs> <laughs> nice, so <laughs> the best be for last. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. So yeah, how's it going? How are you feeling with this? Being I'm feeling really good. You know, <clears throat> I've done a lot of work around Venus for a long time, mm-hmm. and so. Um, I don't know if, if that has to do with it, but um, let's see, you know, there was the whole election thing and everybody was like, and, you know, and, and unhappy and grouchy and whatever. And then at some point I started noticing and it was before it couldn't have been springtime yet. It wasn't the springtime energy, but I felt like energized, man. And I was like, what the heck is going on? And I'm. Huh. I'm still not sure exactly what it's about. I think it has something to do with Saturn on the GC. Oh, yeah. You know, that's yeah. like a really high energy place. Oh, yeah. Uh, on Galactic Center. Um, but, yeah, I've been feeling pretty jazzed for a while. I just got back from uh, NCGR conference where I got to talk about these retrograde loops. Mm. And I've got um, an article out in TMA right now, uh, the Mountain Astrologer, about this current Venus retrograde loop. So yes. um, That's, I'm, I'm, feeling, pretty, about I'm that. feeling pretty good about, you know, my work and what I'm doing. And I'm just, you know, yeah. not that, not that, oh, I'm look at me, I'm here or there, just that I'm engaged. I'm doing my work. I'm showing I'm up. Totally I'm doing in. my thing. And, and it, it feels good to be who I am, you know? No, it's amazing, and I yeah, I love the timing that your your Venus article came, just came out, and I wanted to ask you about that. What inspired you to write that, and what and how? Yeah, so wow, this whole thing um, with the loops is really trippy. Um, but yeah, the the short answer is that um, you know I I did a lot of blogging for the Mountain Astrologer. I mean, I was in the print magazine. A few times a while back, right? I remember. Uh, and, and then for a while, I did some blogging for them. Mm-hmm. And then 
And then for a while, I've just been so absorbed in my own thing that mm-hmm. I just sort of lost touch. It's kind of like you and me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the the publisher, Tim Terichter, he reached out to me and he said, hey, you know, um, what about, you know, a, a Sky thing in the next, you know, and he, he gave, offered me a couple subjects. And I was like, yeah, let's do the Mercury, or sorry, the, <laughs> the mm-hmm. Venus retrograde. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's the short the short version. Um, mm. But these, uh, these loops, you know, my sky astrology partner, Adam Gainsburg, yeah. was my, you know, just my main astro bro yeah. since about 2007. When we, we finally met at the, um, at the project hindsight conclave there in, in Cumberland, Maryland, we got to meet in person and hang out and, he just shared some things with me that were really cool about Venus. And, um, I kind of, it kind of deepened my whole Venus mission thing, um, for a while. And one of the things that he shared with me is he's like, look at these shapes that she makes during her retrograde. Like, especially like in the one in 2012, when she actually did the, what the astronomers called the transit of Venus. Yes. She did this incredible dance, and I call it a dance because I don't know what else to call it, but she she came down like, it was in the sign of Gemini, mm-hmm, right, but yep. the constellation of Taurus. That's right. So, because they're offset somewhat because of procession, yeah? Right. And um, so she does this thing where she comes all, all the way along the, the, the back of the bull, down one horn, and then she stops right at the tip of the horn, slides down the edge of the horn and kisses the face of the bull and then up the other horn. Wow. Yeah, and it's like, oh, my God, what is that about? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So cool. And so I started looking at these shapes that she makes during the retrograde, and, and I was really just engrossed, like, hours and hours of, like, pl- animating this on on the on the software and watching and graphing it by hand and mm. these notebooks and stuff you know like the kind of obsessive stuff that a virgo <laughs> gets oh, right right totally <laughs> and i realized after a while i thought i had categorized them into basic shapes and then i realized after a while uh oh the shapes are actually changing over time and then i was just complete i was like okay I don't know what the heck to do with this. I don't know how to make any sense of this. Um, so I, yeah. so I, so I just, you know, it kind of went on the back burner for a while. And then I was at Lee Lehman's house when I was in Asheville. And, um, yeah. she had this book that had, that had in the back, it had all these shapes in there. And I had seen these shapes before because I had been graphing them myself. And I was like, OMG, what is this? But it was in German. It was this guy, Oscar Marcel Henza. He had been looking at these loops. And um, so I had, I had the thing translated. I just had to know like, what what the heck? And, and so Henza, was helpful, but then I got some, you know, astronomy software where instead of drawing the things by hand, I could just like, like push buttons and get a lot more of them more quickly and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I started realizing that there's actually eight different shapes that um, any planet will make in the sky, the eight different dances that mm-hmm. it'll make in the sky 
Um, and these and the and the shapes are driven by the nodes of the planet. Ooh, interesting. <clears throat> and this is what I talked about at the recent NCGR conference. Ah. Um, so there's not so there's no such thing as like so for so for instance we can't just say oh Venus retrograde means blah 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 right because it's like wait a minute which Venus retrograde are you talking are you talking about the one where she does that thing it looks like a Z when she did the thing around the bull's horns mm. but then there's this but then the one this time it looks like this big loop like a roller coaster loop yeah Ooh. it looks just like that. So it probably will feel like a roller coaster for us. <laughs> I can imagine going between Pisces and Aries is quite an, it, or, or like a, like a tidal wave or. Yeah, it's, it's intense. Um, and I think the point of this loop, because this is the loop where she reaches her furthest distance from the ecliptic that she ever gets. Right. Mm. And Venus here's now, here's an interesting little factoid. Venus mm. is the planet that, reaches the highest latitude that is vertical distance longitude is a, is their measurement looks like 16 degrees of aries or actually i think it's 13 where she stations right yeah 13 degrees of aries is a longitudinal measurement it's 13 degrees west of zero which is actually the intersection of the of the um equator and and Ooh. the ecliptic okay. um but anyway she she also does North and south, yeah. And Venus is the planet that does the most north and south. She can get like nine degrees north or south of the ecliptic. Wow, yep. Well, let's just take that in and digest that for a minute. What does that mean? Well, think about it for a second. If, if the ecliptic is like um, consensus reality or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and... And, ver- and and Venus has the largest variation off of that, then what does it say except that love comes in more flavors than any other thing that we do? Wow. You know, or, or and or we'll do more for love than we'll go further out of our way for love than we will for anything else. And, we, and we'll go to the highest or the lowest. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like we'll, we'll, we'll reach it's, the highest heights and we'll reach the lowest lows. Yes, it's right there in the actual movements of the planet. I love that. The movements yeah. reveal the, and, the energies and, that we And experience. this is the one where she reaches the highest high. Uh-uh. And she's, in her, she's going back into her exaltation as well. Yeah, she's going to station in her exaltation. In fact, right on the exaltation degree, I think. I think so, too. Or near it. I think so, too. Um, and so there's this sense of being pulled or stretched or called to do something we said we'd never be we oh i could never do that and not because oh i'd never do that because it's gross or nasty it's like i can i could never imagine myself going that far beyond my normal everyday like comfort zone yeah um but or beyond my ego's capacity or fear yeah right but we can right that's the whole that's the whole point of the heroine's journey how deep is your love yeah, exactly. How how far are you willing to stretch yourself, yeah. and um, to 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 just you know make you know make an attempt to do something that is um, uh, bigger than than this idea that you know what was Joseph Campbell always said you know make room for the the life that. Um, 
I can't remember how he says it, but something about, you know, you have to get rid of the life you have to to claim the life that, you know, the possibilities, you know, uh, the way Kelly Lee Phipps always said it was if you argue, if you argue for your limitations, you know, then you have to defend them. But if you explore your possibilities, then you get to achieve them, you know. Did he say that? Uh, I love Kelly. Yeah. Oh, I miss him. So I miss him too, man. Oh. He's with, he's still with he's me still though. He's still with us. Yeah. Totally. I feel him feel him um now and then and it's always he's always just the same crazy dude. <laughs> he is he was such a like oh speaking of like fiery inspiration. Love him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and Joseph Campbell was Aries too. Like, he has so many good uh quotes like that about just taking like, you know, yeah, I mean, his whole thing was that like, was live your bliss, you know, yeah. like, just go for what <clears throat> really yeah. turns you on. Yeah. And, and forget about the, forget about what everybody else says about, oh, well, you can't do that, or you shouldn't do that, or, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Yeah. Just freaking grab it and do it, you know, and that's so Aries. You know? It's so just Aries. Do it. Yeah. yeah. Just, just do it. <laughs> just dive in. Just take the jump. Take the leap. Like he, I think he has another quote about if you actually do make that leap of faith, that then you discover there are all these invisible helpers and hands that had been guiding you the entire way, but you had to just take that initial, once you take that initial jump. Yeah, fortune favors the bold. It really does. Mm -hmm. Anybody who's ever made that leap of faith, you know, knows that there are certain things happen that just defy explanation. I love that. Um, it's like your angels were just, you know, waiting for you to show the courage to to go for what you really want, you know? Yes, exactly. I love that. So true. So true. And maybe that's part of the gift. I mean, as we start this journey, if we think of it as, you know, the descent into the underworld, but we start it at 13 degrees Aries. We started at this point. It's like maybe there's something around that that initiation and that fiery, bold... Um, risk, taking a risk somehow. Absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> that's the thing about the, the sign of Aries. I think that Dane Rudger um, elucidated better than anyone that I remember is, you know, see, I'm born at night. Mm-hmm. So, and, and so when I was a kid, I never really identified as like an Aries. Mm-hmm. I was always like, man, you know, that's whenever I read the, the descriptions of Aries, I was like, I don't know who that dude is. <laughs> oh, really? Uh-huh. Um, and, and I kind of grew into it later, you know, yeah. being a nocturnal birth. I felt more, I always felt, I always identified more with my Virgo moon. Like my defense yeah. was always like being smart was like the way that I stayed safe, you know? Yes, yes. And, um, and and it was only like later that I really learned how to be an Aries as I you know as I became um, you know as I came of age essentially was was like learning to be an Aries essentially and and um, that idea of taking a risk um, it it's like what um, Dane Rudger says that if you think about Aries it's it's basically the same as Libra that the days and nights are relatively equal. Mm-hmm. But the difference is in Aries, the days are becoming longer, right? The day force, the light force is trying to outrun the night force, right? Ooh. So there's this mm-hmm. there's this part of Aries that needs to 
keep always moving and pushing ahead because it's afraid if it doesn't, if it stands still, the night, the, the darkness will swallow it up. Ooh, right? that's brilliant. Yeah. I love that. So, I mean, Ridger was like a Jungian almost. He in was. That he's, sense. he's one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. In that he had an insight to the sign that I think um, a lot of people, um, I haven't heard anyone else ever put it that way. But yeah, the, it's like you have to take the risks or, or if you don't, you're gonna you're gonna lose your identity. You're gonna you're gonna um, you're gonna be swallowed up by the darkness. You know. Yep. And so the whole thing about taking the risk becomes not just it becomes not just like a um, a creative thing or a, or a um, but it becomes actually like an existential thing where, where like it's it's who you are. It's what it if you don't. It's like it's a it's an existential mandate almost. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. An existential man. Yeah, you know. Yes. And it's interesting to to go on a journey from, you know, starting from the point of Aries and then merging back into that. I've been calling this Venus retrograde a night sea journey. Like, I love that term of like... Jung calls that as the descent back into the unconscious anyway. But I feel like especially since we're merging back into the Pisces waters... And also going back closer to Chiron in this mm. in this journey, yeah. that there's some it, it just feels like there's some pull, like the the tide is pulling us in toward some deep under like it, like a deep journey into our unconscious around love and around healing. Right. So if the if the Aries is always trying to outrun the dark, yes. What's the most daring risk? she could possibly take just to turn around and dive back into it. Yeah. Dive into the unknown. Yeah. Dive into the darkness, into the night, into the night. That's interesting, you know, because if it, yeah, literally diving back into, and also like, what would, what does it mean for us to submerge our, or to, um, I was, I'm thinking about like, you know, the whole idea of being stripped, the whole Inanna, like being stripped of all of our, our layers. And what would it mean for the Aries to be stripped of that? I am that, that, that sense of individuality or independence, and then being pulled back into that, that state of undifferentiated uterine sort of, yeah. Yeah, wow. Right. I wonder what part of us collectively needs to go through that journey right now. I mean, we could think mm. about personally why we each need to go through some kind of version of that. Yeah, I think collectively there's this story that we tell ourselves about how we came to be and who we are. And, um, and eventually we keep telling ourselves that story even though we aren't really – doing it anymore we aren't living up to it Mm -hmm. and there becomes like a um there becomes a disconnect where the story is is true in the sense of it's it is our originating story but we're not true to the story anymore and um Mm -hmm. and there's a there's an end there's an inauthenticity you know so it's like in, in Jungian dynamics, correct me if I'm wrong, because you're the expert here. But um, there's a there's a connection. There's sort of a um, 
um, a, the the shadow and the persona are kind of a tandem pair, right? Mm-hmm. But like the persona is like this person we the story that we tell everybody about who we are. Mm-hmm. It's all our socially desirable traits we put out there. It's all our trophies in the case. It's all our shiny things that oh look here's all the you know here's who I am. Right. They are kind of like a marriage, you know, the persona and shadow. It's almost like first and seventh house in some in some respects. Yeah, I think that um, Murray Stein calls them the revealed self versus the concealed Ooh, self, I right? Like we say, yeah, have all, yeah, all stuff we're proud of, like yeah. we put out there, that's the persona. Yes. And the shadow stuff, we go, oh, yeah, well, you know. Well, yeah, and <laughs> we the shadow, yeah, yeah. We won't talk about that. Um Mm-hmm. And and, um, mm-hmm. and I think that there's, you know, in, when there's a disconnect, when the persona gets to be where it's telling a story that used to be true, mm-hmm. but now we're like, we're faking it. Mm-hmm. And um, the shadow's gaining ground on it. Yeah. And that's when that descent or return um, to the uterine to to actually because there's so many stories about like um even in like disney man like pinocchio right he he has to go into the waters to to save the old man yep Mm. oh yeah that's a that's a beautiful it's a universal metaphor for re reinventing our culture or right re like renewing that story because no matter how true we were to it, at, at some point we we veer off. We're not, and so we either have to change the story or we have to renew our commitment to the story and re one or both. You know, yes. to like to become more aligned, more authentic. Yeah, and somehow getting you know pulled back into the there's. I mean, it's interesting with Pisces. We can either talk about the treacherous waters of the unconscious, or we could talk about the healing, empathic, compassionate waters of oneness and unit unification and dissolving all the boundaries. Or we could talk about the complete chaos and problem <laughs> when you don't have boundaries. It's like it really just depends on how these energies are are, are navigated. Um, I can. I'm just you know speaking of Pisces. I'm just thinking of the imagination of. My imagination's going to both and all possibilities yeah. with this. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, there's two fishes. One swims north towards spirit, and the other swims like west along the ecliptic on the material plane. So yeah. there's like you know, and they're tied together with a cord. Yep. And yep. That image is really that's one of the things that I actually really got into in this essay that I did for the Mountain Astrologer. It's actually. I was just riffing on something that Robert Hand did back in the 80s. And by the way, all those people that think Robert Hand is a traditional astrologer or a classical astrologer, yeah, dude was once a really good psychological astrologer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can you still would see love, it, yeah. You would love this one essay that he has in there about um, the father complex, I think. Which, which book uh, is this again, did you say? It's called Essays on Astrology. I have that. Yes, yes, I have that. Book. Yeah, you got it. Okay, book. cool, yeah. cool. I should, I should, re- I should pull. Speaking of retrograde, I should pull that out again because I haven't read that in years. <laughs> I, when you said that, it struck. It's like a little, like a thin book, like a paperback. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yep. I remember that, and I remember loving that essay. And he is really good. He actually, 
I had a reading with him during my Saturn return and he really got, he really understood the father stuff. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he talks about this image of Pisces and how it's really polarized between these, these two fishes that there's this little narrow cord between them Mm -hmm. and how that's so that a fact, so that one of the main things about the age of Pisces is this polarization between good and evil, like something is all good or it's all bad. And like, there's, there's not much in between, you know, you're either with us or you're against us. This kind of polarized thinking that we get drawn into. Oh yeah. We really see that going on right now for sure. Oh my goodness. Right. Yeah. So much polar polarization happening. And then also this whole, I'm also thinking about the way it's showing up in terms of like what's real and what's fake, like all the blurred lines now between what, what are we getting that's act and what is reality? Everything feels so surreal right now. It's like, are we living in reality television or is this what this person's is tweeting and then this person's got I know and then there's the some people that even say that this reality is just a simulation like it really is the matrix right right <laughs> right but i mean more than ever it's like when we look around it's like whoa like it's uh everything is getting blurred like all those lines are so blurry like you can't really yeah. say, you can't really say what's what yeah yeah i mean uh, that's a classic uh, component, I think, of um, both Neptune and Pisces, um, that you know, it, it softens things. It, it, you know, um, and the positive of that is that you know, uh, when when we're when our boundaries are softened, they're more they're more malleable. You know, they're more flexible. There's more. There's a. It's easier. Actually, it should be easier. Actually, to um, accommodate. Um, joining with others when you know um, people people who are like really like sappy and cry at movies you know they say Mm -hmm. oh they're such a softy you know (laughs) whatever you know what I'm saying like that characteristic of yeah and yet and yet somehow it's making things more rigid like people are going oh you know um you know uh like I want to accept every minority in the book, and all of their rights should be affirmed. But if you're on the other side of the fence, you know you're evil. Right, <laughs> exactly. Right. Like, it's like, I'm wait also, a minute. How I'm can we accept love. everybody, and then if, and then everyone else is evil? Like that just it doesn't make any sense. You know, well, it's like completely irrational. Yeah, there's a lot of irrationality, and like then the shadows just get they loom so much larger because there's just so yeah like. I guess it's like it's almost a reveal of everything that has been unconscious. It's like if you could just like dump out the collective unconscious onto the stage, like without any censor. It's like here it is. Everything yeah, like you didn't want to sure. look at now. All the veils have been removed. This is really what's been going on. Lights on at the end of the night at the bar. Like you can see all the dirt and grime. There's just no <laughs> hiding from anything. You can't pretend you're in this like really beautiful you know <laughs> right glitter and yeah glamorous reality because here's what's really like, going oh, on lord what was i thinking <laughs> right beer goggles are off <laughs> this is it this is what you got here we go this is our this is the united states of america people <laughs> oh my goodness yeah <laughs> this is what's happening yeah <clears throat> But and, you know, I think there's an interesting part of that, and I don't know what this has to do with Venus retrograde, but 
I know it's right up. It's definitely right up uh, in terms of Jungian dynamics. I mean, Jung talked about back in World War II that the spirit of Woden had sort of um, taken over mm-hmm. to some extent, right? He talked about that people became like, like, or maybe even the world, maybe not just people, but definitely the Germans became sort of possessed by that archetype. Yep. And I started saying that, um, I mean, I started saying to myself a while back, like, I think maybe this time it's Loki, (laughs) Mm. his blood brother, Mm -hmm. um, that is emerging in that way. Because there feels like this kind of trickster-ish, like, like it's the trickster who would turn on the lights and say, hey, all you drunks, look at what Exactly. And so, you know, there's this, there's this other element of, and, and the trickster is, uh, has always been associated with divine creativity in the yeah. sense that um, while it may be a rude thing to do to turn on the lights and, um, you know, shove people's illusions in their face at the same time it's a divinely creative moment because in that moment if you if you play along you can you can choose to create something new out of that yes yes um so i don't i think maybe that's what the stretching part has to do with like the i mean because when things get extremely polarized Mm -hmm. like to me like the only way out is through like, you know, you just have to re- you just have to, when somebody, for instance, like uh, when somebody's really difficult, you know, what do you do with somebody that's really difficult? You just, you take a deep breath and you love them more. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you that's just, beautiful. I mean, if only more people would approach it that way, that's not, actually you know what's what's the answer to a really difficult situation it but it's like reaching down and finding a little bit more inside yourself to 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 go the next step or to you know to love the difficult person a little more and have that that conversation that always seems to go around in circles one more time and and hoping that you know um and i think maybe that Mm. If we're willing to do that, that's where the trickster part comes in. Is that the you know the trickster energy being afoot? Mm-hmm. If indeed what I'm suggesting is true, and I've, I'm not the only one that's saying it. I've seen you know um, not lots of people, but I've seen enough other people saying it that I know I'm not you know just out here in left field. Right. Um, right. But like maybe if you're willing to go that little extra mile. Um, the trickster will be like, Hey, good for you. You're not, you know, you're not like, you know, one of these, you know, um, polarized units that, you know, can't get out of its, you know, own way here, here's a little, you know, magic potion for your, you know, for your, as a reward or whatever. And you get, you know, and that'll help you, you know, to keep going out of that rut or polarized you know stuck Mm. place or whatever yeah yeah that's true Uh, you know i know it sounds like magical thinking or whatever but no it doesn't i mean well that's the whole thing when we enter the realm of pisces like 
the magical thinking is the reality. Like we realize that we are manifesting. We're, we're all finally getting really uh, aware of how powerful our thoughts are in co-creating what we see and what we're experiencing and what we call reality. Like it's, it's, you know, people used to make fun of that as magical thinking, but if we don't invest our energy, it's like whatever images we invest our energy in and whatever beliefs we invest our energy, that's what we're projecting. Well, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. So maybe it won't sound so fuzzy. So I'm reading this book. It's called the war of art. Mm. And actually one of my students recommended it to me and sent it to me. And um, (laughs) in the section that I was reading this morning, it's all about like overcoming your blocks to creativity and stuff. Uh And in the section I was reading today, uh, the the chapter ends like this. He says, uh, and he being um, Stephen Pressfield, the author, Mm -hmm. um, he says, the paradox seems to be, as Socrates demonstrated long ago, that the truly free individual is free only to the extent of their own self-mastery. While those who will not govern themselves are condemned to find masters to govern over them. And I was like, whoa, I mean, that's a really, that's a Saturn trip, right? Big time Saturn trip. Like who's the authority, you know? Exactly. If you don't master yourself, then you're going to put that role onto somebody else. Yeah. And so, uh, but I was like, hmm. Is that really what Socrates said? Like, right, is this fake news? Or exactly. not, is, not is this fake <laughs> yeah, news, like but fake is it, that people read. Like, would I read Socrates that way? You know, right. so I decided to look it up. And and, um, and the trickster part of it comes in where if you read, if you read like, not Socrates, but his student, because Socrates didn't actually write anything. Mm. Um, he just did a lot of um, talking right. with his students. Right. But his student, Plato, wrote a lot of stuff, and um, one of them being the Republic, mm-hmm. which is very political. Um, and it, the irony of it is that um, in Plato's, system there are five basic kinds of um, regimes or countries uh, or political entities and democracy is pretty low on that totem pole <laughs> oh, yeah. he saw democracy as a, as a relatively inferior version of it was right it was actually below oligarchy <clears throat> and then tyranny below is the lowest on that totem pole and I was like wow uh, that's a, I mean, that just that just kind of is counterintuitive because we tend to think of democracy as the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? Right, right. And it's like, what, what the heck? And so it took me like pretty much the rest of the afternoon to wrap my head around why the heck does he say that? Yeah. So that's, I think, kind of where the trickster comes in and that it can challenge these ideas that you've, that you've just taken as a priori truth yeah, and be like, you know, it's true. It, truth is relative, man. There is no the truth, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's just like the, the latest little trickster thing that happened, that's happened to me today. Mm, um, I love that. And, uh, and I think that it was, it was, it was, you know, when the Venus part comes in because, you know, I was willing to, you know, somebody else recommended a book to me and was, you know, was like, 
Yeah, you, and so I was willing to, you know, open up and um, accept somebody else's point of view and entertain somebody else's point of view. I mean, that's a very Venus thing, like the Libra side of Venus. Sure. Right. To you know, so um, I think that when we're willing to take that risk, um, to like even the people that we would normally think of as. Uh, crazy or or evil or whatever like if we're what if we were even what what if we were willing to like actually you know talk to them mm -hmm. or actually listen mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and try to understand what they're saying or what they're feeling or something you know instead of just calling them crazy exactly well maybe when i was just that made me think gary when uh venus retrogrades back into pisces then Venus and Jupiter will be in a mutual reception. Mm. Oh, yeah, interesting, yeah. yeah. And uh, there's the whole thing with J Jupiter and Saturn, too. Oh, right. Wait, that's, uh, mm, that's nice, yeah. Oh, right, so Jupiter right. would give the bigger picture, the ability to see the bigger picture. Yep, yep. Yeah, and... Um, and and also just what you were saying with the Libra, because it'll I feel like it'll it'll help bring in more of the Libra influence because right now Venus in Aries is answering to Mars in Aries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we're getting it's all Aries. It's all the art of war right it's now. It's like <laughs> you know, it's like you know, my way is the right way, and if you don't see that, you're just crazy and um, wrong and evil. You know, right? Exactly. <laughs> just burn in hell, burn down the bridge. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like you're, you, you, yeah. But when you get it back into Pisces, it'll be interesting to see if, like, there's suddenly, like, if if there's more room for, if this harmony and this potential for more of a peaceful dialogue can ensue. Yeah, I mean, because I tell you what, if not, then, um, you know, she. So okay, so. Like, since, like, the beginning of the year, since January, Venus crossed the ecliptic, and she's been heading north the whole time. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, I, I wrote about this the other day, the stock market's been pretty much heading north the whole time, too. Like, it just, like, it just went above 21,000, and it was only above 20,000, like, oh, or three weeks ago. It's crazy. It's wow. just been, shooting up. so yeah. there's an interesting thing there, um, but... If you go back um, to another cycle around the retrograde station of this same loop, right, because Venus makes the same kind of retrograde about every eight years. Mm -hmm. So if you go back a couple cycles, um, there was the big tech bubble burst. Um, so, that's right. so that's like the opposite of the stock market going up. It's like <sighs> everything crashes. So... Um, What's interesting is, like I was saying, how she goes as far above the ecliptic as she does ever during this loop. Well, what goes up must come down. So during the red, during the station part where she stations direct, in the vertical dimension, she's actually going to begin to go really fast towards the south, towards down mm. below the ecliptic. So while she's stationing direct in Pisces, she's actually going to be um, vertically moving very, very, um, rapidly 
back down towards the ecliptic. Um, so that it, it's like, yeah, if you, um, if you don't, if you're not able to see the bigger picture, or you're not able to somehow trick yourself out of your own stuck place or, or, or have, or, you know, like, um, have enough compassion or empathy for someone that the trickster rewards you with a trick to get you out of your stuck place or whatever, then yeah, the, the bottom could really fall out to the, to the extent of like, um, you know, that whole saying about, um, you know, people don't change until they hit rock bottom kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's kind of like, the choice seems to be to um, to do it voluntarily, or you know, yeah, <laughs> or, you or or you know that that back part of the roller coaster where it's like ah! right, or like when the wave comes and just like you know that undertow comes and just pulls you under and then spits you back. Yeah, out. it's scary, man. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, so like if it if. I don't know if it's going to take being scared to death to wake you up, then uh, that, that part of the loop might be the place where, um, that is more likely to happen. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And so, yeah, it's, it's so interesting to be, to be speculating and talking about it on this side of the, of the journey because we're just like we're just like dipped our toe we're still in. going up yeah, we're, we're like we're pontificating still, on what the roller coaster ride is we're still on the battleground be. of Aries like going okay Pisces it's coming yeah <laughs> <laughs> but we still have the illusion of control sort of yeah 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 talk to me in a week when everybody's going ah! I know we're all like well the other thing I'm seeing is that you know the people always think oh good Venus will be exalted in Pisces but it also can really set off all the addictions and the obsessions and the, the things that, you know, the, the unconscious Pisces again, like the other fish, I guess, the one, the fish that can take us, the fish that forgets it's trying to swim toward the divine or it's trying to find, it's trying to seek the divine in something that is finite. Yeah, exactly. Like the fish that swims along the material plane is subject to all those. I mean, that's the other thing that, you know, I was reminded of with, you know, Plato and Socrates and all those cats. I mean, they were very, very clear about that. If you are ruled by your animal passions, you're like basically at the lowest energy state possible. Like, I don't necessarily agree with them in that the intellect is like the is the only spiritual part of us. I think it's possible oh, to be spiritual while being embodied. I mean, certainly look at any yogi, for instance. Oh yeah. And stuff. But um but yeah, if you're in that low form of addiction or or um greed or or any of these, you know, if you're consumerism uh, and so forth then then yeah i mean it's <clears throat> that's going to be that's going to be up for having the rug pulled out from under you right what do you do when you don't have access to that anymore you know when you can't get your fix right well i had this really interesting conversation yesterday with one of my friends who was saying that there's this tantric practice 
that actually has been adopted by a lot of addicts, especially heroin addicts, which is that you only have seven seconds to like turn that thought around to God. Like if you're like, I need it, I need it, whatever it is, whatever the addiction is, that you have seven seconds. It's so funny that that bell went off. I don't know if it'll be in our, I don't think it'll be in the recording, but <laughs> there was like a little ding that just went off. That you have seven seconds to turn it around and, and turn the thought toward God or something. Wow, right. man, that's not much. I know. Because so otherwise you, you can go, otherwise it can like, take you, it can take you, or maybe it's, yeah, I think yeah. it's seven seconds. It's like the siren call, isn't it? Yep. <clears throat> wow. So as soon as you hear that, you've got to stop up your ears and like chant your mantra right. that gets you going back the other way, right? Right. Yeah. It's like we we're have that, it's like that split second of which, which fish is going to dominate or which, which direction we're going to get pulled. So great to think of that. I hadn't actually, until this conversation, really put it in terms of the two, the, the fish is swimming in different directions when dealing with Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> what I think is really cool um, is that Ariel Gutman actually was the one. I, so I found that article that Robert Hand wrote because Ariel Gutman referenced it in her book. Ah. It's just mythic astrology, right? So I was like tracking this down. Oh, that's great, yeah. What she said was like, well, you know, why couldn't they just be, you know, swimming along together? Why couldn't your body, you know, your material self and your spiritual self just be swimming along like a pair of happy dolphins, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's totally possible in the sense of an individual if, if you're able to get yourself aligned, you know, the three parts of you. You know, being, you know, your animal self and your um, human self and your spiritual self. Yeah. If you want to think of them that way, like in the shamanic terms. Yeah. Um, I think it's totally possible to get those aligned um, and swimming along together, like she was saying. But, like, as a collective, it's where it's in terms of a collective that we get divided into these two fish more easily, right? Because, yes. yes. like, the collective doesn't have. It doesn't have that um, that seven second, you know, response time. It's just like it just becomes like um, it's taken over by the unconscious a lot of times. Yeah. And so, I think it's it, I think it's when the individual is relating to the collective mm-hmm. um, that that. Um, that idea of those two fishes and, and it becomes important to realize like when we're getting pulled by way of our collective roles mm-hmm. into that way of thinking that we wouldn't normally be necessarily as an individual. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's a fascinating thing to think that the way we draw a picture of, you know, the way we put together a certain group of stars. Yes. Yeah, it means it makes a huge difference in the way we experience reality. Oh yeah, which which things get invoked at which times, and mm-hmm. so it's we're so lucky that we have access to this language, the symbolic language, because I can't imagine like I don't know. I mean, it's I can't even imagine what it would be like if we didn't. Now it's so like we take it for granted, but imagine like what it would be like to be living in this day and age without access to the language of astrology as a mirror can you imagine <laughs> yeah. what we'd be doing like what's oh, going God. what is all this i guess we'd make up something else 
I suppose. I mean, geez, man, I've been doing this so long. Wow. I just, yeah, I can't even imagine what it's like to be without it anymore. Um, yeah, I wonder if that's an addiction. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> for, sure. for sure. I wonder if I stopped talking astrology or something for like a month or something, what I'd be like. I know. We'd probably go crazy. Probably, probably descent into complete madness. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hard enough just to get off Facebook, let alone not talk about it. <laughs> yeah. That's bad enough. It's hard enough to stay off Facebook for a day, much less. <laughs> I know. Like, I, I mean, that's even embarrassing that, like, stay off Facebook for an hour. It's like, God, it's gotten so bad. <laughs> but isn't that what the return to the womb is? Like, to really just divest ourselves of all our modern, you know, mm -hmm. trappings? Yeah. And just become, like, primal again, like, really? Yeah, all our distractions, all our diversions. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Maybe that's part of what the stripping is in this Venus retrograde journey. Mm. And to, like, you know, my, my thing is even the way that the reason why I just can't imagine getting outside of astrology is, like, even when I'm out in nature, you know, I think of the four elements. Right. You know, and it's like, whoa, water, you know, like, just the experience of water. Yep. Uh, would like just that just like go be go to the beach or go you know go to the river or, or you know spend the day on the water somehow um yeah that's a huge prescription for you know especially around the direct station when she gets into pisces you know and the same thing with fire like what is our what is our relationship with fire you know what is um Fire is a really trippy element in that it's simultaneously like the the quickest to change. Like you light a match and you know things can change. Oh yeah, and yet, catalyst. And yet it's also like the least dense. It's like you know the smoke that rises to heaven. You know, so right. um, there's this sort of rarefied quality to it that I think is the reason why it's always been thought of as very spiritual and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, um, it's simultaneously like really like at the sort of, um, I think some of the lower chakras, if I'm thinking correctly, have an association with fire. Um, uh, the, the Manipura or the third, third chakra. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yet at the same time, um, it, for the Greeks, the fire was thought to be like the highest sphere of the four elements, you know, so it was very, it was considered, that's why the, the fire signs are thought to be the royal signs, for instance, is mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. of that quality mm -hmm. of like, it's sort of like the stratosphere, if you mm -hmm. think about it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, so on the one hand, it's like this, yeah, this solar plexus sort of like drive this sort of, you know, your ambition and your will to like, yeah. you know, master or dominate something. Mm. It's kind of fiery. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it's like this very ethereal sort of, um, um, spiritual experience of being truly separate from worldly things. Like most people, uh, well, not most people, but a lot of people that I've heard talk about having those kind of experiences, a lot of times they see things from like a very high place, right? Yeah. So there's this, you know, and that's, that's 
that's where the Greeks saw fire as being. It's like that rarefied air way up there. That so there's this there's this quality of fire that was associated with nous and with um, which is like the divine intellect. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So there's kind of so there's different kinds of fire. Even there's like the the gross or material fire, but then there's the spiritual fire. There's the gen, which is more fire. gentle. Fire purifies too, like an alchemy. Yeah. So mm-hmm. fire purifies in different ways, though, right? Like the negrero fire, the the it's just the the harsh, you know, flames that just burns and and destroys, you yeah. know. But then. Um, later in the Negretto, the fire is re- is rekindled, but it's more like the gentle fire of a bird sitting on her eggs. Mm-hmm. The warmth. There's right. this gentle like incubating the heat yeah. where the where it's just enough to get the distillation process going, where the steam rises and then condenses, and then there's this circular process of refinement. You know. Yes. Yes. Of separating the subtle from the gross yes. and stuff. So. You know, I think the thing with the Aries fire being, you know, the uh, the first sign and being it has a tendency to, towards being that, you know, that um, fire. destructive, you know, uh, uh, over aggressive fire that just like, oh, something's down. not working. You know, yeah. <laughs> you exactly. Know, just, yeah, tear it down and start over and stuff. Um, but, you know, it, it may be that. Um, <laughs> a more gentle form of that same energy would would do the trick better. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it depends. Depending on where we're at, of course. Right, exactly, different stages of, that's a good point, two different stages of the process. So speaking of looping back, and this might be a good note to end on for us, that, <laughs> right. um, that we're starting with Aries in this journey. So maybe we need, maybe it does invoke this harsher fire because of the, the necessity for purification going into this mm-hmm. process. And then when we come back to Aries on the other side, maybe it'll be more of the refined the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that. Yeah. I love well that. said. Yeah. Wow. Well, this, thank you so much. This was a really like perfect timing to have this conversation and really inspiring. Oh, yeah, thank you for always. getting back in touch and for asking me to be part of this again. I'm really honored and and pleased and excited and um me too i'm really excited for our upcoming projects together so yeah right on yeah thanks so much you're welcome thank you (laughs) all right let me just turn this